Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm Pete Wright, and I am just a pretty face. (laughs) Today we are talking about Minute 13, which begins with a backhand and ends with simply another pretty face. Back on the show, we have Philip Matas. Hello, Philip. Hello, Andy and Pete. Philip. All right. Glad you're here. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) This is why uh, you're here. Uh, You wanted to talk about uh, Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, and this is our introduction to her in this film. So uh, what is it about her and the character that drew you to this? I think what drew me to this scene in particular was having seen the movies prior and she got introduced in the MCU in Iron Man 2. I was not into Black Widow. I thought, mm. I, I'm not a big Iron Man 2 fan. I didn't think she was that interesting. And I I kind of think it's because they introduced her as sort of like, you know, a, a sex pot type, like Bond woman type thing. And then it turns out, oh, and she also like beats people up and whatever. And it just kind of was like flat for me. And as soon as this scene got done, I was like, Black Widow's the best. I really, <laughs> I really like Black Widow, and I've always admired this movie for turning me around on that. And I don't know if it's if it's their writing of her character or if it's Scarlett Johansson in sort of like settling in mode a little more or something. But this scene does a lot of it for me. Over the course of, uh, well, actually, Pete, you and I never really got a chance to talk about Black Widow ever because right. we, when Iron Man 2 uh, was covered, that was Rob and Kyle who were hosting at that time. So we never really talked about her. What's, what's your thoughts on, on Black Widow as, as, up to this point? I think I felt that, very similar, that I was always a, a little bit frustrated that we didn't get to see Black Widow as Black Widow. And that sequence when Black Widow uh, gets to go into the base and have that long hallway fight scene in uh, the last Iron Man, in that Iron Man 2, um, you know, where she finally gets to suit up. That is really satisfying. Everything leading up to that just feels, it, it felt a little bit smarmy to me. And so I wanted to see Black Widow as the hero. I wanted to see Black Widow do something, you know, heroic. And so I just, I felt like I've never had enough Black Widow. And I can still say I've never had enough Black Widow. I love Black Widow. And, uh, and I just, this, this to me is a realization of Black Widow as a badass. And I, I actually think it's really great. And I'm trying to say that while also saying, I just see the badass in this scene and I see this badass woman who is uh, dominating these criminal military masterminds, playing the part of a possum victim and is about to do something grand. And I think that is extraordinary. So I say all that kind of leading into the fact that this is a scene that is directed by somebody who has a problematic issue with women. Yeah. And and is a radical like departure from anything associated with apologizing for past actions. So, um yeah, so I, I guess there's all that. I don't know. I guess I've heard people say that this is one of those problematic scenes, and I haven't been able to put my finger on why it's a problematic scene. I guess it's, I, I guess his story, you know, like once you apply that context there, right? I mean, it is, there. there's probably something there that the first shot, I mean, it's, 
how do I say this? It, I mean, the first shot we have of Black Widow is of her getting hurt. Yeah, right. Yeah. Somebody back. <laughs> and she's tied up and she's, yeah. Right. And you're like, pretty woman. Right. So yeah. there's a lot to take in there. But then, I mean, it's also like the story is, hey, I don't know. I don't want to apologize for it too much, but you know, it eventually like plays its hand and you're like, that's amazing. You know? Yeah. So that's it, where I am. I get it. It's well, and that's, I think the, we'll talk, I, well, maybe we say some of this for tomorrow in our conversation yeah. when things, when the tables turn, but I do think there is a, an element to the way that the director um, writes these sorts of scenes, these gender based scenes. Hmm. Um, maybe that's but, it. But yeah. to your point, I do think there's an, there is an element that, does right away uh you know set things up where our our character uh is tied up and she's she's being beaten and for the introduction to um the character in the film it does seem in retrospect knowing the director and his history it does seem a little uh you know off uh color to kind of choose that this is the way that we first meet our character and i'm and again i'm not apologizing for him at all but it in a way, it kind of reminds me of the, I don't know if it was the pitch, but it was like the the thought around the show, maybe even the movie of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where instead of a young blonde woman being in trouble, or you show her look like she is in trouble, and it turns out she's the vampire hunter, and she does that, and it kind of tracks with that. Until, until we found out the whole picture, it just kind of fit a pattern of like, well, this is like an interesting way that this writer uh, introduces uh, female heroes, you know? Right. right. Well, and and it's speaking specifically to Black Widow, like what we what we find out in the MCU later and what we know is part of the character's backstory is that she is part of this Russian like cadre of women spy assassins who use sexuality to get too close to and then kill their their uh you know their their targets and so like is there anything that would lead you to think anything different could happen in this sort of a scenario like it just it yeah. just it actually feels kind of right to me that we give sure. her this opportunity to see one of her powers is playing the part of the sexualized victim and so I, I, you know, I see it and I see, I think, Philip, I think you're right. Like it, it is only with the gift of hindsight and context that we see this is problematic. And it probably came from a, a, a kind of a, a fever dream of his that he's <clears throat> kind of trying to enact. But ultimately for the story, to me, it still plays. Yeah. Well, and I, I, and that's definitely a, a key part of it. it. It definitely plays for the for the film and to that end i think it works and and also to your point i mean her spy name is black widow and you know that yeah. that is kind of the nature of exactly what she's doing and you know we'll get more of that as we finally finally way down the road get her film uh which i still think should have been a trilogy i think it would mm -hmm, have been sure. better served for her and the story if it had been a little longer but that's neither here nor there we'll save that for a future season but I, I do like the way that this is set up. I, I think it is an interesting, interesting scenario. We last saw her, and she was working for Howard or for uh, Tony 
undercover and then, of course, revealed her uh, abilities and we get to see what she's really capable of. And to come into a scene like this, we know what she's capable of and it does kind of create an interesting scenario. So, yeah, to your point, I do think it serves the story well. It is interesting, but I definitely can see um, the way that people read this with time. Yeah. Well, and they did the same thing in like the opening to Ragnarok has hunky Chris Hemsworth hanging imprisoned, having been beaten and brutalized playing possum before he actually is able to demonstrate his power. Of course, it's not in a in a sexualized context. And that's that's the problem. But it's this idea of you misunderstand what my power and agency is in this sequence. Villain, let me demonstrate. Not to make this even bigger. Uh, for three men to talk about why there's problems with, right. with the patriarchy and sexism. <laughs> right, but right. part of this, part of it, I'm thinking even bigger, where like, you know, lately in the last, you know, 10 or so years, people have pointed out to that one line in Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indy goes back to Marion and, you know, she's heartbroken and she says, I was a child, I was in love. Yeah. It was wrong and you knew it. And people are like, oh my God, Indiana Jones is, is like, was like creeping on teenagers. I'm like, Okay, so first of all, I don't think that's what they really meant. However, I think that the way that sexism and a patriarchy can exist is that it allows for, again, three men who wrote that movie to kind of toss off a line like that. Or in this case, a man writing this to just put the woman in danger and, you know, like have her in a low cut dress and not have to... really think about it in a in a larger context you know it's like well you know look women get in trouble all the time when they dress well a certain way you're like that's not what you want and it's it's i'm not again i'm not absolving the writer of that but it's also supported by that system that it you know didn't yeah punish him for doing that until much later yeah for sure right, right for sure well, let's talk about our Russians. So we're meeting three characters here. Uh, the the primary character that we're going to be focusing on is is Georgi Luchkov, uh, played by Jerzy Skolomowski. And then he's got two thugs. He has the Weasley thug and the tall thug. <laughs> those are... <laughs> <laughs> Those are his cohorts. Uh, Philip, Team we, Weasley. <laughs> Team Weasley. Um, uh, Philip, something, a game we like to play here when new characters okay. are introduced is the IMDb game. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Ooh, sure. So what we do is, uh, and, and this is going to not be a, a probably a too hard of a game to play as we look at these three particular actors, but the idea is... IMDb lists four films in a, in an actor's or a, a film, uh, somebody in the film industry, what they have as they're known for. And okay. yes, yes. Okay. And oftentimes it is very peculiar why they pick what they pick. And so, uh, so these three performers, we're going to start with Jersey Skolomowski, who again plays Georgi Luchkov. Um, do either of you have any sense as to what Jersey's for known fours would be marvel's the avengers <laughs> that is the number one That's that one. is the number one yes i'm gonna uh, i'm I, gonna put, put play that one for all three Andy. <laughs> that's, that's gonna be my, my guess for all three i yeah <laughs> i have man. no idea but it's so funny is he looks so familiar has he been in something like massive that he i looks would... he re- kind of reminds me of peter parker's ne'er-do-well uh landlord in spider-man 2 oh yeah remember the yeah. guy who was like oh, rent, really like a little yeah. bit but yeah a little bit not but only my half-baked memory you know 
I don't know what else I would know him from. Well, he is an actor who definitely is, I, I shouldn't just call him an actor. He is kind of more known as a director writer. He is very prominent uh, in the Polish uh, industry uh, and has made uh, made a lot of films himself. In fact, the other three known fours of his are uh, uh, three films that he wrote, Essential Killing, 11 Minutes, and I'm not even going to try how to, saying this one, uh, Steri Noce Zeana, something like that. It's uh, Oh, you did great. I Yeah, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I'm sure the natives knew exactly what you were talking <laughs> well, about. I'm sure they did. But to your point, he has appeared in a lot of English, spe- I shouldn't say a lot, but he has appeared in several English-speaking films, um, English-language films, in which he's playing somebody like Mars Attacks, where he plays Dr. Ziegler. And uh, so those sorts of films. So the ones that I recognize, Mars Attacks, he was in Before Night Falls, where he played a professor, and he was in Eastern Promises. Definitely makes sense where he played Stefan. Sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's uh, Jersey uh, Skolomowski. Next up, uh, Kirill Nikif- Nikiforov, who plays the Weasley thug. Um, I, you know what? He is Russian, I will say. So at least they cast Russian for him. I'm just going to tell you, uh, he is an actor who has um, been in the MCU in multiple capacities. And uh, both of those are on his known for. Wow. Uh- and I'll just tell you. Though, so the Avengers, to your point, Philip. That would have been a good one to start with. Next up is The Americans, the TV series, where he plays a KGB <sighs> agent. Oh, well, mm. that, that checks out. Then in the TV series Daredevil, he played Aslan in the TV show. And wow. last but not least, he played Vadim Pushkov in Person of Interest. Good for him. So, yeah. So, nothing. Yeah. Somebody who's kind of, uh, you know, getting in there a little bit. Last but not least, we have Jeff Wolf, who plays Tall Thug. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Wolf is actually an award-winning uh, director and a second unit director, and he actually is somebody who does stunts. In fact, he was involved, Pete, in stunts in Captain America, the first Avenger. And I say that just because we talked about it, but then you look through all of the stuff that he's been a part of, and, uh, you know, he's uh, also in, or he also worked on... Uh, most recently, She-Hulk, attorney at law as a stunt performer. Wow. So definitely wow. somebody who's in a lot. But his four known fours are The Idol, the TV series, Drive, the film in which he played a stunt driver or stuntman in a tan suit, The Avengers, and last but not least, credit uh, credited to stunts in Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Yeah, his is not a face that I recognized. No. Yeah, oftentimes these, these stunt uh, performers, they end up in these situations where, uh, you know, they're a person who is there because you know they're going to get beat up. And that's kind of right. <laughs> that's kind of the extent of it. So, yeah. Anyway, those are our three Russians. And now <laughs> let's continue with the story. <laughs> three Russians. <laughs> oh, but this was interesting. So Georgi Luchkov actually has comic book origins. Did either of you know that before uh, before we started talking here? No. It's funny you say that because I I didn't catch that character's name and I also didn't I should have looked them up because then I would have won that game. But <laughs> he mentions he mentions uh, Solohov and Lemontov. Right. I'm saying those names wrong. And I, my first thought was I rolled my eyes and I'm like, what random issue of Marvel are those names? For? And I didn't find anything. And I was frankly relieved because I kind of think my high horse here, but. Some of the my like 
weariness over the course of the MCU is how like everybody's anything or everybody's something, you know? And, and it, I, I kind of like when, yeah, yeah, there's just some other people out there that aren't connected to some lore. So, but I forgot to look up this general guy. Yeah. So, so Georgi Lushkov, uh, he appeared in a Marvel Comics Presents in August 1993 and created by Mindy Newell and John Staniski. And it was just one episode. It was a, you know, the Marvel Comics Presents are often just a, a number of short stories. And it was a Black Widow story. And he is a, a, a former KGB uh, supporter and an informer who had turned in a lot of people. And now after the fall of the Soviet Union, he was afraid that their relatives were going to come after him. So he goes to the United States and starts killing off all the relatives of all these people he had turned in. And uh, Black Whoa. Widow is uh, is kind of pursuing him and ends up catching him. And that's kind of the the crux of that story. It's just the one uh, just the one episode. It's a very brief uh, appearance in the MCU. So it is interesting that they actually chose to kind of pull that character and bring him in in this capacity. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. The, those are the type of things, too, that I was like, I can't I don't know where I fall on it because it's like. That was a character who didn't do a whole lot, but you did reference him. So now it sounds like he did a whole lot, but he actually didn't do all, you know, like, <laughs> right. Yeah. You could have, it, it, it also wouldn't have impacted my life one way or another had they made up some other character name. And like, right. I guess somebody else. We'd call that an Easter egg level two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's that they didn't do it more for the other. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, it, and that's like with those other names that they bring up, it's, almost a surprise that none of that ever gets brought up again in later stories with Black Widow, like, oh, the return of Solahab or something, I, you know? I prefer it. Yeah. I, I really do. I, I, I really like that element of off-camera action. Yeah, to the world, to the extent of world building, it makes it more interesting. It's like in the it's Star Wars film, you don't have to have everybody running around with a lightsaber. Give us some stories about people who don't have lightsabers or the Force. And I think that's why things like Mandalorian are are popular because you don't necessarily have to feature those characters. And right, and they don't have to have referenced up to a point. They don't really reference a lot of characters we do know about. So it's exactly. like, oh. Yeah, there's a whole universe out there. So I I kind of like the idea that Black Widow has been doing these literally off the books missions, you know, that we don't we don't know about and we might not, but we know that there are probably some tough characters then she's clearly survived it, so something interesting happened. Yeah. So I'm willing to let it build her legend. So as far as what Georgi Luchkov is up to, um, I guess he's selling stuff on the black market. We we have. I, I, th- I wrote down this, too. It's like, I guess they're stealing paintings, guns and mirrors. That's the business. <laughs> and, and chandeliers. <laughs> chandeliers. Or, or they just decided, let's put a chandelier in this rundown place because we need some light. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's so funny about that is like that is so apt of like like this weird appropriation of Russian revolutionary history where people were just like completely looting all of the finery of, mm-hmm. of, you know, that like that is just like stamped onto this sequence. And it's so like, it, it's weirdly fake and yet accurate to a point. And I, it's, it's just kind of a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> where they're trying to, trying to shoehorn in this like true sort of 
cultural historical gestalt onto this weird scene where we just want Black Widow to kick some ass. And yet, as a part of it, it's one of my favorite single shots in the movie where the camera pulls back from that weird mirror and you see them all (laughs) standing in the background. I love that so much. Like, it's so over the top. It might explain, too, partly why we enjoy this scene as much, because it almost does feel like a cliche that these guys are like, it was enough that they had her like tied up and they smacked her and all the other stuff they're going to do to her. But we're also smuggling these stolen goods, Mr. Bond. And yeah. we've got a death threat, you know, like just keep going. It look, it's, it's doing, it's, it's almost a parody where you're just building this stuff up and then it is going to set up that punchline later, even harder. Exactly. Because what we know is it's not 1923 anymore, but what what's important is that these idiots still think it is, and they're bootlegging <laughs> chandeliers. Like, that's the joke. My black market chandelier. Yeah. Really booming. I have a hallway guy who's hooked me up with all the finest yeah. mentions in <laughs> Moscow. This hallway guy. Yeah. Foyer person. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it is so strange. I, I, I'm kind of surprised that you like that shot, Pete, because when it cuts to that shot, I mean, I, I agree. I like the pullout and everything, but the fact that it also conveniently has a mirror in it and suddenly we're like, wait a minute, where, why are we behind them now? Like just getting this shot. I want to be clear. Like, I like this shot the same way I like the idea that these guys are bootlegging chandeliers. Like, it's really (laughs) like this whole minute is frame by frame over the top. And the fact that we're behind them for no reason, like we I just I delight because it's a weird establishing shot of guns and paintings and mirrors like and and the curtain is so perfectly poised over the knob, <laughs> the top of the decorative knob on the mirror. Like, that is, somebody spent time thinking about that hard yeah. to make that shot work. And I celebrate it. I'm here for it. It's exuberant. And I, and I, I back that up, too, because <laughs> of, you know, the way that the series will go, you know, with varying degrees of success, but the, of the overall movies, I mean, the, the visual flair isn't quite there of what you see in these earlier movies and this one. And actually I really like the way that a lot of age of Ultron looks they have like, and maybe they are ridiculous, but they have like these little, you know, not lens flare, but little, a little sense of flair. So yeah, stuff like we've got a pile of loot, which <laughs> it doesn't even make sense, but there's a mirror and we're going to like reverse through the mirror like it doesn't happen when you know like the russos take over you know no. they're like what if what if we position the camera like right here and then you spoke <laughs> like yeah. got it in a parking lot great you know <laughs> like that's Perfect. about it so yeah i i'm i'm here for it too it's yeah it's it's a funny way to do it and it just i don't know the other you thing you seem that's strike, unconvinced well no the other <laughs> feel thing like we've that, done an able job and you are unconvinced it sells it sells what they're trying to do but the other thing that is strange to me when you think about it in context again none of this really matters in as you're watching the movie but when you think about it in context they're in this rundown warehouse on the upper level 
with all of this stuff. It's like, that's the sort of stuff you keep somebody on the lower level. Somebody carried it up there. Like, somebody brought it up to this level to hide it, and it's just a tiny bit of it. It's like, all, is this all, all they have everything left? into that one corner of that dilapidated shack. I want it here for when we have to interrogate Black Widow. Because this is effectively their IKEA demo room of their loot stack. That's what I right. get. Like, this is the showcase. That's great. Uh, oh, my gosh, yeah. It's, it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. We'll just leave it there, I guess. I don't know if I have anything else for this particular minute. We end as our uh, Russian walks away and says, the fl- famous Black Widow is just another pretty face. And that's where we end um, this particular scene. Do either of you have any last thoughts about this minute? Um, because I know we'll have some more as this scene continues tomorrow. Yeah, I had one last thing just because we went by it, but th- oh, sure. uh, the general's first line sounds like he's kind of a gargling robot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he has that very low, intimidating Russian yeah. voice, but the first line is the sort of like, <laughs> and the, the more I heard it, I'm like, he sounds like a robot. Well, you got to I mean, you're a guy like that. Neither, that means yeah. absolutely nothing, but that that just stuck out to me. I'm going to play the audio for that in this episode, so all of our listeners can listen to okay, that great. too. And <laughs> I mean, look, he is like we all are moving in this direction as we age. Is that eventually <laughs> we're going to have to worry about swallowing the insides of our own cheeks? Like that's sure. just where it goes. And I think Jowly McRussian face is exactly Ace uh, playing the part. He's great. (laughs) Oh, so much fun. Fair enough. All right. Well, Philip, uh, tell everybody again about uh, your books and where they can track them down and learn more. Oh, yeah. You can can find me online everywhere. I'm at uh, Philip Mottas on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And you can learn about uh, the books I've written, the mystery novels. The first of which is called The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel Air. And it is about uh, a woman with psychic abilities who is also a hairstylist uh, and gets into a whole bunch of difficulty when she touches the head of a stranger and she psychically is expecting to see hairstyle stuff and she sees a murdered body. Um, you can, like I said, you can find me everywhere that psychic barber mystery books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere (laughs) everywhere well we will have a link for them in our show notes so check that so you can uh find them everybody and uh we'll be back tomorrow to talk about minute 14 so pete thanks as always thank (laughs) i can't swallow my cheeks hard enough for the bit andy i can't do it i'll see you tomorrow (laughs) until next time true believers Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>